both recordings. And if you guys would, please agree with me in prayer. Let's believe God for a significant time. These type of sermons are, I don't know, they're just challenging. But anyway, Lord, I pray tonight, you might bring this mic down just a touch. Lord, we pray over the word tonight. Everybody's agreeing with me. Lord, we bring it under the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you would allow there be a mighty anointing upon me, Lord, that you would speak through me by your Holy Spirit, everything that needs to be spoken, Lord, that this would go out as living seeds of truth, uh, sown into good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, that even right now as I'm praying, that your precious Holy Spirit move upon all of us, and Lord, help us to be captivated, to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, to help us to be good, fertile soil of hearts and minds, have anointed eyes and ears to be able to see, and that this word will go out and accomplish everything it's sent forth to do. The winds of your spirit carry it to the nations. Your angels watch over it, and we bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder the word in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that let this, these seeds be sown out, and they'll go where they're supposed to go, be watered by the Holy Spirit in people's lives and families, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Let your light shine in the darkness and dispel all the darkness, lies, evil, and deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. And let there be the washing of the water of the word. And Lord, I pray this is a deeper sermon. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, anoint our eyes and ears. Open our minds as Jesus, you know, it says in the scriptures that the disciples, their minds were open to understand the scriptures. Lord, help us anoint our minds and help us be able to understand the word. And Lord, give us hearts to be able to be receptive and hearts of understanding, Lord, we pray and we thank you, Lord, for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you all that prayed for me because I do feel a big difference tonight. From Last week was very challenging to preach. It's very challenging. All right, so I'm going to talk about a stronghold, okay? Religious witchcraft. And I'm dealing with spiritual warfare. And I feel this is the word of the Lord tonight. All right, so... One of the things I wanted to bring out, I talked about last week, but the Apostle Paul, when he went through Ephesus the first time, nothing overly significant happened at all that we know about. But man, when Paul came through Ephesus the second time, it was an explosion of revival. Read Acts chapter 19. It's amazing. God, He stayed there for two years. Um, that whole region was shaken by the power of God. People were getting saved out of the occult. So many people, they had to have a huge bonfire to burn all of the occult materials. Um, Handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken out to the sick. They were healed. Demons left people. It was a major move of God. And during this time, the Apostle Paul was writing about this, and he told the Corinthians, um, he said, I'm staying on... um, I'm staying on in Ephesus because an effective door has opened unto me, and there are many that oppose me. And this is, I believe this is a, supposed to be First or Second Corinthians instead of Ephesians here in my notes. But in Corinthians, he also wrote, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now this is interesting. The Apostle Paul did not go into some coliseum and wrestle lions. Okay, so this was not a reference to natural beast. What Paul is saying here is that I fought with beast in Ephesus. He was talking about principalities and powers. And it was during this great revival in Acts chapter 19, probably the greatest revival he had in his ministry, in the city of Ephesus, 
that Paul began to really learn about spiritual warfare. I believe this. And he wrote the book of Ephesians back to send it to that church. And it had a lot to do with spiritual warfare that we draw from to this day about the armor of God and principalities and powers and all of that. So just putting all this in context. So with great revival, you have to be ready for the opposition. You've got to be ready for the spiritual warfare that comes, okay? Now, I'm going to read you something that Rick Joyner wrote. I want you guys to give me your best ear and lock into this. It's not in your notes, so just look this way. I encourage everybody that's hearing this to get a hold of a book called The Final Quest and read it if you never have. And if you have read it, I encourage you to own your own copy so you can refer back to it. It's a very good book. It really was life-changing for me. But I'm going to read. This is at the beginning of the book, and he had a vision. And I want to read some of this vision to you because this is a perfect description about the spiritual warfare that we're facing in these last days, okay? All right, here we go. This is out of the final quest, and it's under the title Heavenly Vision, an evil army. All right, so he said, I saw a, demon a demonic army so large that it stretched as far as I could see. It was separated into divisions, with each carrying a different banner. The foremost and the most powerful divisions that I saw were pride, self-righteousness, self respectability. You ever seen people, they, they don't want to enter into revival because they've got to keep that respectable image? You know, that's arrogant. Selfish ambition, unrighteous judgment. But the largest of all was jealousy. The leader of this vast army was the accuser of the brethren himself, and I knew that there were many more evil divisions beyond my scope of vision, but these were the vanguard of, terrible, uh, of this terrible horde from hell that was now being released against the church. The weapons carried by this horde had names on them. They had swords that were named intimidation. They had spears that were named treachery. How many people have ever had the enemy try to intimidate you? Treachery is betrayal. How many people have ever had betrayals? And their arrows were named accusation, gossip, slander, fault finding. Now, scouts of smaller companies of demons, they had names like rejection, bitterness, impatience, unforgiveness, or lust. They were sent in advance of the army to prepare for the main attack. And I knew in my heart that the church had never faced anything like this before. The main assignment of this army was to cause division. Everybody say division. division. That is Satan's primary goal. Satan knows that a kingdom divided cannot stand. It was sent to attack every level of relationships. Churches with each other. Congregations against their pastors. Husbands against wives, children against parents, and even brothers and sisters against each other. The scouts were sent to locate the openings that were in churches, families, and individuals. That may be rejection or bitterness or lust, etc. had opened like a little door. So these scouts were sent, and they were sent to find any little crack they could find. They were sent in front. If they could find a little door open in a church... They could find a door open in a family. They were sent so they could exploit that doorway and make that breach larger for the divisions that were coming behind them. 
The most shocking part of this vision, how many of you guys have read this before? Because I've read this multiple times. All right, the most shocking part of this vision was that this horde was not riding on horses, but on Christians. Hello? Let me read that again. The most shocking part of this vision was that this horde was not riding on horses, but riding on Christians. Most of them were well-dressed, respectable, and had the appearance of being refined and educated. These were Christians who had opened themselves up to the powers of darkness to such a degree that the enemy could use them, and they would think that they were being used by God. Now, I'm going to share a lot of things tonight because I'm concerned. I believe that Rick is a true prophet of God, but I believe this is one of the most uh, life-changing books I've ever read, to be honest with you. And... In these last days, we're facing tremendous spiritual warfare, and I want you to be protected. I want you to be aware of what's going on. But my wife and I will tell you, and I'll stop as I'm going down through this, Sandy and I both have seen people that have been affected like this. They didn't know what was going on, and we tried to tell them. But their personalities began to change. Am I not telling the truth? They had a complete personality change. They became a different person than what they were before. Once they were a very humble, sweet person. They had a sweet spirit about them. God was using them, but something got into their life and they totally changed. And I don't want this to happen to anybody that I'm preaching to tonight, okay? I want us to be protected. All right, so the accuser knows that a house divided can't stand and this army represents his ultimate attempt to bring such a division to the church that she would completely fall from grace. But how many knows that that's not going to happen? So here's the prisoners. Trailing behind these first divisions that I saw was a vast multitude of other Christians who were prisoners of this army. They were all wounded. They were guarded by little demons of fear. How many of you guys have ever had the enemy just try to make you afraid? I felt that too. And if you get trapped in fear, you'll never break out to do something for God. Fear is very paralyzing. There seemed to be more prisoners than there were demons in this army. Surprisingly, these prisoners still had their swords. They still had their shields, but they did not use them. It was shocking to see that so many could be kept captive by so few of these little demons of fear. These could have easily been destroyed or driven off by the prisoners if they had just used their weapons. But many people become captive to things. They surrender to it. They think it's God and it's not. The devil's telling them they'll never amount to anything. The devil's trying to make them intimidated and afraid and all that. Above the prisoners, the sky was black with vultures named depression. These would land on the shoulders of the prisoners and vomit on them. The vomit was condemnation. When the vomit hit a prisoner, he would stand up and march a little straighter for a while and then slump over even weaker than before. Again, I wondered why the prisoners did not simply kill the vultures with their swords, which they could have easily done. Occasionally, a weak prisoner would stumble and fall, and as soon as he or she hit the ground, the other prisoners would begin stabbing them with their swords and scorning them as they did so. They would then call for the vultures and begin to, to devour the fallen one. As I watched, I realized that these prisoners thought that this vomit of condemnation was the truth of God. Isn't that sad? Let this sink in. 
I believe this is a true vision from God to explain a lot of things. So the people that were prisoners were just like these vultures were coming down vomit and they thought that that was God. They thought God was doing that. They thought this condemnation was from the Lord, but it was from the demonic. The Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for them during Christ. So why is Christians sitting around, something vomits on them, and they feel so it's like self-hatred, self-loathing, I'll never measure up, and they embrace this condemnation, and they slump over, and they're accepting like this satanic ministry of these vultures, so to speak, when they need to be rebuking the thing. Then I understood that these prisoners actually thought they were marching in the army of God. But they're prisoners of the enemy. This is why they did not kill the little demons of fear or the vultures. They thought that these were messengers of God. The darkness from the cloud of vultures made it so hard for these prisoners to see that they naively accepted everything that happened to them as being from the Lord. The only food provided for these prisoners was the vomit from the vultures. Those who refused to eat it simply weakened until they fell. And those who did eat this vomit from the vultures, how gross is this? They were strengthened, but they were strengthened by the evil one. They would begin to vomit on others. And when one began to do this, this there was a demon that was waiting to ride and would be given to this one, and he or she would be promoted to the front. Even worse than the vomit from the vultures was the repulsive slime that these demons were urinating and defecating upon Christians that they rode. This slime was pride and selfish ambition, etc. That was the nature of the division that they were part of. However, this slime made Christians feel so much better than the condemnation that they easily believed that the demons were messengers of God and they actually thought this slime was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Then the voice of the Lord came to me saying, this is the beginning of the enemy's last day army. This is Satan's ultimate deception. His ultimate power of destruction is released when he uses Christians to attack other Christians. Throughout the ages, he's used this army, but never has he been able to capture so many to be used for his evil purposes. Do not fear. I have an army too. You must now stand and fight because there is no longer any place to hide from this war. You will fight for my kingdom, for truth, and for those who have been deceived. I had been so repulsed and outraged by the evil army that I wanted to die rather than to live in such a world. However, this word from the Lord was so encouraging that I immediately began to yell to the other Christian prisoners that they were being deceived, thinking that they would listen to me. When I did this, it seemed that the whole army looked at me, and I kept yelling, and I thought the Christians were going to wake up and realize what had happened to them, but instead many of them started reaching for their arrows to shoot at me. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy and I kind of are familiar with it so others the others just hesitate as if they didn't know what to make of me I knew that they I had done this prematurely and that it had been very foolish to do so the battle begins then I turned and saw the army of the Lord standing behind me now this is the army of God now okay there were thousands of soldiers and they were um, we were still greatly outnumbered. Only a small number were fully dressed in their armor. Now, how many Christians think, think about this? He looks and sees the army of God, but yet only a small number were even wearing their armor so that most were only partially protected. 
A large number were already wounded. Most of those who had all their armor still had very small shields. We need our shield of faith to be growing, not shrinking down into a little bitty, which I knew would not protect them from the onslaught that was coming. Behind this army, there was a trailing mob similar to the prisoners who had followed the evil army, but very different in nature. These seemed to be a very happy people. They were playing games, singing songs, feasting, roaming about it. Look, it reminded me of the atmosphere of Woodstock. I tried to raise my voice above the clamor to warn them that it was not time for this, that the battle was about to begin, but only a few could even hear my voice. How many times have we felt like we're crying out and only a few can even hear what you're saying? Those who did hear me gave me the peace sign <laughs> and said, we don't believe in war, man. I tried to explain to them that the Lord had given us an armor for a reason, hello, but they just retorted that they had come to a place of peace and joy where nothing would happen to them. And I began praying earnestly that the Lord increase their faith. And to help a messenger came up to me and gave me a trumpet and told me to blow it quickly. I did, and those who had on at least some of their armor immediately responded, snapping to attention. More armor was brought to them, which they put on quickly. I noticed that those who had wounds did not put the armor over their wounds. But before I could say anything about this, um, the enemy's arrows just began to rain down upon this group. Everyone who did not have on all of his armor was wounded. How many are putting on the armor daily? I do. Those who had not covered their wounds were struck again in the exact same place. Those who were hit by arrows of slander immediately began to slander those who were wounded. And it's interesting because my wife and I, I mean, you know, spiritual warfare being in the ministry, a lot of people don't even understand. But there's so many times that we have felt something just simply trying to slither in and cause um, us to get annoyed with one another and get irritated. Hey, you know what I'm talking about. And I, I would tell her, say, listen, this is, this is spiritual. Let's pray. And as soon as we began to pray, it went away. You see what I'm saying? We need to start discerning these things because as soon as an arrow tries to hit, it's trying to cause division between two people. All right. Those that were hit with gossip began to gossip. And soon a major division had been created within our camp. Then the vultures swooped down and picked up the wounded to deliver them into the camp of prisoners. The wounded still had their swords and could have struck the vultures, but they didn't. They were actually carried off willingly because they were so angry at the rest of us. The scene among those in the camp behind our army was even worse. There seemed to be total chaos. Thousands laid on the ground, wounded and groaning. Many of those who were uh, not wounded just sat there in a stupor of unbelief. The wounded and those who sat in unbelief were quickly being carried away by the vultures. Some were trying to help the wounded and keep the vultures off of them, but the wounded were so angry that they would threaten, uh, they would threaten and drive away those who were trying to help them. Many who were not wounded were simply running as fast as they could from the scene of battle. The first encounter with the enemy was so devastating that I was tempted to join them in the fight. Then, very quickly, some of these began uh, reappearing with full suits of armor and large shields. The mirth of the party had now been exchanged for an awesome resolve. They began to take their places of those who had fallen and even began to form ranks and protect their rear and flank. These were brought, um, these brought great courage and everyone 
resolved to stand and fight until the death. Immediately, these three angels appeared, faith, hope, and love, and stood behind us, and our shields began to grow. We had swords named the Word of God and arrows named for different biblical truths, and we wanted to shoot back, but we did not know how to do it without hitting the Christians because the demons were riding the Christians, remember? Then it occurred to us that if these Christians were hit with the truth, that they would wake up and fight off their oppressors. So I fired off some of my arrows. Almost all of them hit Christians. However, when the arrow of truth went into them, they did not wake up, or, nor did they fall down. They became enraged. And the demon riding on them grew much larger. This shocked everybody. And we began to feel that this may be an impossible battle to win. But faith, hope, and love were, um, were there and gave us confidence to hold our ground. And it goes on, I can't read anymore, but it goes on talking about people that were being ridden by these demonic spirits. The longer that this was happening and the more of that slime was being put on them, the more and more and more they began to change into the image of that demonic entity instead of the image of Jesus. And all they had to do was discern that that was a spirit and drive it away from them. Sandy and I have seen, listen, everybody has been through times in their Christian walk where they've got their feelings hurt. They've been upset about something. We all have, I have. But we have to learn to immediately forgive people, let things go, and to pursue unity. If somebody has hurt your feelings or whatever, you've got to go talk to them and work it out. You cannot carry an offense like that over a long period of time and start allowing division. Now, I shared that because this battle is very real. And this is exactly a perfect description of what I believe is going on in these last days. Satan has released an onslaught against God's people. So let me dive into this word tonight. The stronghold of religious witchcraft. In our region, as I talked about last week, there's principalities and powers that are over geographic areas. I can't go back into that. But there are some spirits that blanket the whole world with their influence. And these spirits like Leviathan and Jezebel and a religious spirit, they blanket the whole world with their influence. And it's like they release their influence, so to speak, down into these principalities that are over these regions. And these principalities begin to exert this influence over a region. And we've got to be like lambs among the wolves. Remember last week that we have repented of anything in us that is not right. And we're carrying the nature of the Lamb of God. And so that even though people around us might, may have the nature of the wolf, we're not going to walk in that satanic nature and come under that influence. And something in this region very strong is connected with Leviathan, Jezebel, and religion, those three spirits, and it's created like something in this region that I call religious witchcraft. And here's some things that I see, and then I'm going to break down these spirits. Number one, I have seen a lot of false conversions and great deception. I had a friend of mine that I grew up and we, he played drums. He was an amazing drummer. I mean, the guy could be professional. He's just an amazing drummer. And he ended up, as he got older, he, he got his pilot's license. I remember when he was younger and he was out in this little bitty um, 
you know, those little bitty airports in small cities, you know, and he was learning to fly from those small planes and all that. And I remember all I remember taking his test. Now he's an airline pilot and he's doing really well. And we caught up on Facebook and he wanted to talk. And so he called me and, and as we were talking, he said, I want to tell you my story, what happened. He said, I grew up in this area in East Texas. And he said, my family were, you know, Baptists. And he said, well, you know, we went to church and all that. And he said, I really believed because I was taught this. He said, I prayed a prayer. He said, I just believed that I was on my way to heaven, you know. And he said, man, he said, I, I finally, God brought me to this place. He had heard a sermon by a man named Paul Washer. And he said, I realized that I never really truly knew the Lord. He said, I was never truly born again. I was never really changed. I was just religious. I just went to church. And he said, man, he said, God really shook me up with that. And I really, truly gave my life to the Lord. And I'm living for him now. And I was so excited, you know. And I was telling him about it. And that's the story of so many people in this region. They're religious. They maybe went to church. They maybe prayed the little prayer, whatever. But there's no true born-again experience in a lot of people. They have not been circumcised in their heart. Um, they're not different. They're not different people. When you truly come to know the Lord, you're different. And that is a very strong stronghold on this region. And that's the battle that we're facing. And the enemy hates that somebody like me will get up and say that. Hey, y'all hear what I'm saying? Because I'm going to challenge the people in this region as much as I can that they better examine themselves and make sure that they really are in the faith. I feel resistance from that, even talking about it. But that's an issue. You ask how many people, Matthew 7, 21, the Bible says, many will say to the Lord on that day, Lord, we prophesied, we healed the sick, we, we cast out demons, we did all these things in your name, and the Lord's going to look at them and say, depart from me. He's going to throw them into hell. I never really knew you. You practice lawlessness. You ask how scary it's going to be on that day for those people that thought their whole life, I went to church, my parents went to church, I gave in the offering, I did all this stuff. You mean to tell me that I'm not even saved? That's a very strong stronghold here. And it goes back to Leviathan, Jezebel, and a strong religious spirit. Another thing that I've seen in this region is a flippant attitude towards sin and hypocrisy. Now, this is something I've grown up in this region. I, in many ways, was also affected like this. I went to church, but I wasn't right. Had I died, I don't believe I would have went to heaven at all. I was living in sin. Thank God for praying parents. But there's a flippant attitude that people have. They grew up around the things of God. They grew up around church. They, most people around here, it's gotten less in the last decade, but most people, there was a time when most of them went to church and they were involved in some kind of youth group. But yet, they would go to church and act one way and then outside of church, they were a totally different way. And they would live in sin and then they would just go to church and say, well, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, and they go back to the same sin. That's hypocrisy. And it's a flippant attitude towards sin. And this was something that, you know, I dealt with growing up and a lot of people in this region did too. And God has to get a hold of people. This is a stronghold. Listen, if 
When Jesus came, one of the greatest rebukes he had was for the Pharisees, which I'm going to read in a minute. And he kept saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And he told them, he told them flat out, you're going to go to hell. But he said, you're hypocrites. And he kept rebuking them for being hypocrites and not living the life and not practicing what they preach. And God's got to get a hold of this in people. Another thing is unrighteous judgment and criticism. I've seen a great deal of division, which I believe has probably about 90% to do with why we're not seeing a great revival yet, but we will. And also people jostling for position, influence, and honor. People are all about self-promotion. How many times has my wife and I seen that in this region? People are so caught up with promoting themselves and their own kingdom and their agenda. I mean, we would try to be a part of prayer meetings with other leaders. And we had to make a strong rule. If you get the mic, you can't self-promote. You can't start talking about your thing. Just pray, man. And we had to be a rule because so many people are so caught up with that. All right. So let me break down these three spirits. Boy, it's quiet tonight. Number one is Leviathan. Leviathan has to do with pride. Pride leads to rebellion. You remember Korah in the Bible? Korah's rebellion. And pride will lead to destruction. And Leviathan has a strong presence here. All right, so let's go through it. Isaiah 27, verse 1. In that day the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, or... Some translations say the piercing serpent. Piercing like a stabbing. It says with his fierce, this is God's sword. Y'all ready? How many would like to see the sword of the Lord? All right, the Lord's sword. Here's the three descriptions. His sword is fierce, great, and mighty. Even Leviathan, the twisted serpent. Don't forget that word twisted. And he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. In Revelation 13, 1, I believe all of these spirits I'm exposing have to do with end-time prophecy. But Revelation 13, 1 says, I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. You can't help but think of Leviathan. I believe the Bible is saying that this is going to be a strong spirit in the last days. A religious spirit and these spirits, there's something that people that come under their influence, they begin to, to backslide. Um, they, they grow cold, they get out of prayer, they get out of the word, you know, they, they don't want to come to church anymore. If they do, they'll sleep or whatever. They're just not hungry and on fire. It's these demonic entities. Job 41, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? And God's rebuking Job. Or press down his tongue with a cord. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? It <laughs> sounds funny. Or will he speak to you in soft words? You imagine this giant dragon, you know, and, and you catch him like you would going fishing, and then it's begging you for mercy. Oh, let me go. You've got your, your fish hook in my tongue. Please let me go. And God's kind of saying this almost sarcastically. Job, do you really think that this thing is going to play with you? Will you play with him like a bird, or will you bind him for your maidens? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons? Or his head with fishing spears. Lay your hand on him and you'll remember the battle and you won't do it again. Behold, your expectation is false. Will you be laid low even in the sight of him? 
No one is so fierce that dares arouse him. Who then is he who can stand before him? Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. This is the Lord talking to Job. And I will not keep silent concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his orderly frame. Who can strip off his outer armament? Who can come with his, uh, within his double mail? Listen, it was saying about Leviathan that his scales are thick, like an alligator or something, thick, strong scales that come together so tight that even air can't get in between them. And that's the thing, when people come under the influence of Leviathan, they'll get cocky. They'll begin to, to talk to... It's interesting, because I've seen people that are baby Christians, that, that may be even young in the Lord, or maybe even young in, in Bible school or something, that will talk to leaders so cocky and so arrogant. And you're just thinking, really? But what it is, it's those scales of Leviathan. And whenever people come under the influence of this thing, it's like those scales begin to encapsulate their life where they can't even experience the breath of God because that wind is having... It, it's not getting through those scales to him. Is this making sense? His strong scales are his pride. Once you begin to really humble yourself and repent of pride and believe, you've got to have faith. Once you believe that you've confessed it and repented, what happens is those scales begin to crack and begin to be pulled down. It's kind of like a wall, and somebody begins to pull one brick out, then the next brick out, then the next brick out. It's like the scales of pride are being broken and brought down in somebody's life. One is so near to another, no air can come between them. They are joined together as one. They clasp together and cannot be separated. Listen to this. His sneezes flash like a flash forth light in his eyes like the morning. You know what that is? People that are arrogant. You know what pride is? Pride is somebody that has a hard time saying, I'm sorry. Pride has a voice like, I'm right. Who are you to tell me anything? And a prideful person will come under the influence of something. And I remember in James, I believe chapter 4, it says about a tongue being lit by the fires of hell. It's like now they're coming under the influence of something. And this prideful spirit comes on them. Their tongue begins to be lit by the fires of hell. And pretty soon now, they're Satan's little mouthpiece, his little puppet. And this, this flashing forth out of their mouth and out of their eyes, how Leviathan, this prideful spirit, will begin to give them counterfeit revelation that they believe is from God, but it's from the devil. Out of his nostrils, smoke goes like a boiling pot, burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, flames goes from his mouth. His neck lodges strength, and dismay leaps before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together, firm on, hold, uh, firm on him and unmovable. His heart is hard like a stone. Somebody that gets lifted up with pride, and they come under the influence of Leviathan, they get a very hard heart. I'll give you an example. I had tried to talk, and this, I've got so many different stories I could tell. Let me just kind of dwindle it down. But I remember trying to talk to somebody, and they got lifted up with pride. So now they're smarter than the pastor. You know, they just talk. They, they know more than the pastor, and they're not going to listen. And I kept trying to talk to this person, but the truth, the arrows of truth, would just enrage them. See, that's pride right there. 
Instead of the truth humbling somebody, it makes them mad. See, the same light that will melt wax will harden clay. Some people, truth will melt them and they're humble and they're broken and they'll repent. Others will get more and more hardened and angry. And I remember it got to the place where I had to sit them down and talk to them. They didn't really want to hear what I had to say. Of course, I'm the problem. And I remember that my wife began to try to talk to them and she was crying. And they, they listen to this. They looked at each other and were smirking and snickering and laughing while my wife is crying talking to them. How does somebody get so under the influence of a spirit, so lifted up with pride, their hearts get so hard that when a preacher's wife is crying, trying to talk to them, they look at each other and snicker? That's demonic. When he raises himself up, the mighty fear, because of the crashing they are bewildered, the sword that reaches him cannot avail, nor the spear, the dart of the javelin, He goes on and on about talking about his strength. Let me tell you something in dealing with Leviathan. In other words, to sum all this up, you're not going to be able to play with Leviathan. This is a spirit that is just simply bigger than you and bigger than me. But I'll tell you how you overcome Leviathan is you humble yourself. Lord, forgive me for the pride. Forgive me for the hard heart. Forgive me, Lord, for getting lifted up in my own mind. So many people have spiritual pride. I remember this one individual that he was so spiritually arrogant. He had a spiritual pride that there was no church that, that he could go to because everything was so beneath him. There was no preacher that he could stay under his ministry for very long because he was so much smarter than him. They were church hoppers. They weren't faithful to any house. They weren't faithful in their tithing. They came here for a short time. And I listened to them, and I knew pretty, pretty quick this is spiritual arrogance. And, of course, they were gone. And the sad thing was they act so spiritual and talk so spiritual, but they're not spiritual at all. It's a counterfeit. I'll tell you something about Leviathan. Leviathan is assigned against the glory Please remember this. Wherever the glory of God is deposited, that's where Leviathan will attack. You remember Satan? How did Satan fall? Satan was in the glory. Satan was around the throne of God. Probably, if we understand it correctly, he was definitely a cherub, but he probably had to do with behind and up above the Lord and would lead worship to the Lord. That's how close he was in the glory. What came against Lucifer that made him end up becoming the devil? Pride. That same strategy Satan uses now against the glory. Where the glory of God is, people are in the glory, they're in his presence, but he'll begin to put pride in the midst thereof. And you've got to discern it. Confusion and twistiness. When Leviathan begins to attack, what you say out of your mouth will get twisted and confused to where the other person will hear something different than what you said. And this is how much division breaks out in a church because there's so much confusion in the atmosphere because Leviathan. But I'll tell you something. The Bible says in Proverbs, but by pride comes contention. Meaning this, if you'll take pride out of the equation, then everything will calm down. The problem is, is you got this person saying, I'm right. And you got this person over here saying, no, I'm right. 
But if somebody will come in and be humble and say, let's just all talk about this. And they'll have a soft answer that turns away wrath. And they'll use wisdom. And they'll be a peacemaker. They can calm the entire thing down. And it's so important because the Bible says that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. You're not going to be able to crush the devil under your feet and walk in a high level of victory over the devil if your life and your family and your church is full of strife and fighting and division. How many times have people said something and Leviathan twisted that and pretty soon there's a fight that breaks out and it's over the stupidest things? Most of the time, they're little misunderstandings. Had two people just sat and talked it out, everything would be fine. But once Leviathan takes over people, they get a hard heart. Those scales begin to wrap around them. They have a personality change. They become more and more arrogant. They no longer will listen to what somebody's trying to tell them. And next thing you know, now they're bucking up against church leadership and they're leading like a rebellion, like Korah. The Bible says that Leviathan rules over the children of pride. Spiritual death and health problems are many times connected to Leviathan. It creates a counterfeit revelation that people get information, but it's from a demonic realm. And, of course, as I mentioned, pride leads to rebellion and church splits. How many, you know what, out of all the pastors, I'm friends with several pastors. I don't know of one that has not had a major division in their ministry because of somebody like this. I, I know several. And if I talk to them, they'll tell me stories how somebody, something said on them, and begin to use this person and led a division in their ministry. And you know how pride works a lot of times? It gets in the realm of insecurities. Y'all write this down. Insecurity, that's the main thing. Do not allow insecurities to remain in your life. And also being easily offended. Those are the two things. If, you, if you're not going to be insecure about stuff and you're not going to be easily offended, pride is going to have a hard time getting a root in you. Insecurities. Let God heal those insecurities. Let God get that stuff out of you because an insecure person cannot take correction. A pastor will try to say something to him. Listen, guys, we got to do this. We got to be on time. We got to get this done. And just normal leadership, and they get offended. They're insecure. They can't handle it. They get bent out of shape. You need to take those people and stick them in the military, man. Give them a good drill sergeant. That'll get that out of them real quick, right? But they can't handle being corrected or rebuked or anything else because they get so easily offended because they're so insecure. And that's where pride gets in. But if you let God deal with that, there'll be a confidence and a boldness come. The next one is Jezebel. This spirit is very serious. It's very deadly. And I've written a book you can read for free on the website. And I encourage people to hear this, to read the book, because you need the information. We're living in the last days. And I'm telling you, this is a very serious attack. 
I have faced this thing multiple times, and every preacher that I know that I've talked to has faced Jezebel more than once. You guys ever heard the myth about the hydra snake? You cut off one head, multiple heads. It's like they faced Jezebel, and they cut off a head to see three more pop up somewhere else. And that's the way it is with Jezebel. It is a serious attack, okay? So here's what the Bible says about a Jezebel spirit. Revelation 2.19, I know your deeds, talking to this church here at Thyatira, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, calls herself a prophetess, everybody take note, prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent. Man, have I ever seen that. Behold, I will throw her onto a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know I am the one who searches the mind and the hearts, and I will give to each one according to your deeds. Wow. I've, I've talked enough about Jezebel that you're familiar with it, so I'm just going to go over this pretty quickly. But a Jezebel spirit, when somebody has this, they're very manipulative. Uh, for example, they may be somebody that's a master at getting you to feel sorry for them. And then they're, they're, they're so um, talented as an actor that they can be one way to your face and be a completely different way behind your back. But they're, they're very good at doing that to manipulate. And they'll make, a Jezebel spirit will make the bad guy look like a little victim. And then the person who's the victim in the situation that's being targeted by Jezebel, that's being attacked, make them look like the bad guy. It's a, it's a master of deception, the spirit is. And just like Leviathan is assigned against the glory, the Jezebel spirit is assigned against revival, against the spirit of Elijah, against the prophetic. The Jezebel spirit hates true prophets, but loves, loves the false prophets. The Jezebel spirit will call itself a prophet, the person that's under its influence will call themselves a prophet, and they'll get revelation, but it's from a counterfeit source. It's from a demon. It's not from the Holy Spirit. And they want to teach, but their teaching is false and will lead people astray. The Jezebel spirit is all about ungodly control. It's very subversive. A master of subterfuge and deception. It will undermine and lead rebellion. So one of the things about a Jezebel is that they will many times present something like an innuendo. So maybe they're talking to you, and all of a sudden they'll give this little innuendo. You know, I'm concerned about the pastor. You know, he used to be more anointed. I, I don't know. I'm kind of concerned about some things I see. And they're giving this little innuendo. And what would really freak the person out is if they turned and they actually saw in the spirit realm what was riding that person. <laughs> and the forked tongue coming out, all right? 
If they could actually see what was going on in the spirit realm, they would run away from that Jezebel spirit. But many times they don't discern it, and they begin to come under its influence as well. And I've had to deal with this a number of times now. And I've had people, I'm going to tell you, if you're not going to be an Ahab, then a female Jezebel will hate your guts. They'll be fine as long as you're going along. They'll ask you, well, can I do this? Can I do that? Yeah, that's fine, that's fine. But if you discern them, and then you're like, well, wait a second, there's a Jezebel spirit there. And you tell them, no, you're not going to be praying for people right now. We'll see down the road. Once you do that, and you're not going to be a little Ahab, and you're going to tell them, no, you're not doing it, they will turn against you from that moment forward. And I've had to deal with this a number of times. I've got several stories, but one comes to mind. And this woman had so, you know, beat up her husband psychologically and emotionally that he was a wreck. He couldn't think straight. He couldn't make decisions. And she tried that with me. <laughs> That's my wife. But, I mean, it was like I would call her out. No, you're not going to talk to me like that. No, that's, it's not your place to tell me that. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I've got these men of God that have been in the ministry, in the ministry longer than you've even been saved. But you're, and they're speaking into my life, okay? They have a right to. But I am not submitting myself under a little Jezebel and her little Ahab husband as being my little counselors. Hello? I'm not going to accept their Jezebel curses they're trying to speak over me because I'm not going to let them do just whatever they want to do. And I don't receive their counterfeit prophecy that they're trying to vomit on me. And if you're going to take a stand against this stuff, man, the thing is, you would think, especially people, this has surprised me. My wife may have not thought about this. We haven't really talked about it. What surprised me is I've seen people that hear these type of sermons. They know and then later, they still allow something on them that changes their personality, changes their perception. We've sat there and seen people tell us stuff that doesn't even make any sense. They're talking about the past, and they're totally changing it where it doesn't even make any sense. That's not the way it happened. Am I not telling the truth? They live in some kind of a fantasy land, some kind of altered reality. Their perception is so skewed by these spirits. And that goes back to mind control and the desire for power and control. All right, that's all I'm going to say on Jezebel. You guys know about this spirit. I really encourage you to read that book because it's there for free, okay? But read the book because it'll help you. I had a pastor contact me out of Arkansas. He had faced a Jezebel spirit in a man. This man had been around that church before he even got there. And he would cause so much destruction in that church. And he, it was so bad, he had to get the police involved. He had to get a restraining order and press legal charges against this man. That's how bad it was. And he said he was just desperate. He was praying. He stumbled across my book on the Internet and read it, and it said it helped him so much that he wanted to contact me and talk to me. We need this information because you're going to be facing some things down the road. This is the last spirit. All right, the accuser of our brethren... Revelation 12:10 who accuses him day and night has hurled has been hurled down. 
So the last one is a religious spirit. A religious spirit will take the form of an antichrist spirit. Now, an antichrist spirit, yes, it can mean a opposition, but anti in the Greek can, it can mean like instead of. So the antichrist is going to be instead of Christ, like a false Christ. And so the Antichrist spirit or a religious spirit will pretend to be the Holy Spirit. And this is what the scribes and the Pharisees were dealing with. So let me read this. I'm going to close out with this. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you to do and observe, you need to do it. But do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves unwilling to move them with even so much as a finger. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men. That right there, that scripture right there should be engraved in some stone or something and hung up in every church across America. Let's stop doing stuff for people to notice. Let's stop doing stuff to get the accolades of men. Let's stop trying to do things with the motive of the heart to self-promote. Let's do it for his glory, even if nobody even knows you did it. But they did all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broadened their phylacteries and lengthened the tassels on their tallit, those long tassels, so that people, you know, would look at them being super spiritual. They loved the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not, call, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher. And all of your brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father or one who is your father. There's only one who is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders for the one who is a leader. That is the Christ. But the greatest among you what? Shall be your servants. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Now here we go. You hypocrites. Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. You do not enter yourselves. Nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. And for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you'll receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel land and sea to make one proselyte. That's a convert, okay? And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you. Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. Whoever swears by the gold in the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? You know what? Some people get so caught up with the money. That's what he's dealing with here. You blind men, which is more important? And then he rebuked him, I'm sorry. And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he's obligated. You blind men, which is more important? The offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears by the altar and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple, swears by both the temple and him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven, swears by both the throne of God and him who sits upon it. Let me just throw in another teaching by Jesus. Just don't swear. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, and then you won't have these problems. And Jesus did say that in the Word. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, deal, and coming, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of a cup 
and the dish, but the inside is full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear to be beautiful, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. So you too, outwardly, you appear to be righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn them, the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners in shedding the blood of these prophets. So you testify against yourself, Jesus knowing that they're about to have him crucified, the greatest prophet there ever was. You testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Then fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpent, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. So that upon you will fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between temple and altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How long I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The greatest enemies of Jesus was the religious These are people, a religious spirit wants that control. So Leviathan is assigned against the glory. Jezebel is assigned against revival, the spirit of Elijah, the prophetic. The spirit of Elijah, think about Elijah and John the Baptist. Prophetic, fiery, revival, calling people to repentance. That type of ministry will draw the attack of a Jezebel. So what is a religious spirit or an antichrist spirit? It's the same thing. What is it attacking? Freedom. A religious spirit hates freedom. There's a scripture in Galatians that says that there are false brothers who will come in unaware to spy out your freedom. A religious spirit hates free worship and hates unstructured services. Here's a religious spirit. When a religious spirit attacks, it will make people feel unworthy. How many of you guys have ever felt unworthy? I felt unworthy too. But you guys shake that off and don't let that thing sit on you and stick around. Hello? Shake that off and rebuke it. Because it's not about us. I mean, people get into pride and they don't realize they're doing it. They get so self-absorbed about how I feel and all this stuff. It's not, let me, let me tell you what, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about him. We're not worthy because we're ever going to measure up. We're worthy because of him. We're worthy because of what he did at Calvary. And that subtle pride of feeling like I've got to measure up and I've got to do so much, that's, that's a religious spirit. The accuser of the brethren, a religious spirit operates as an accuser. It will accuse you in your mind against your own self. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't struggle with this. If you were really a child of God, you wouldn't do this. How are you ever going to measure up? How are you ever going to mount anything? That's the accuser of the brethren attacking you. You need to rebuke it. Don't be like these people in Rick Joyner's vision that thinks that these demonic things are from God. These accusations are straight from the pit of hell. 
But once you start accepting, I remember this guy one time. I'd been, truly, I was like a spiritual father of this guy. This was basically like my Judas. Everybody has a Judas that's going to be used of God. But I remember I poured my life in this guy. And something, namely his wife, but something else had really begun to work on him. And I had a vision. I shared it with him. I saw that Satan had put all these little black little seeds in his mind that were demonic thoughts, accusations against me, against the ministry. I told him, you better deal with them. But instead of renewing his mind and repenting and recognizing these thoughts are not of God, he entertained them. And pretty soon he had a personality change. Something took up residence in his life that was not of God. Next thing you know, there was a Judas betrayal. And so we got to be careful not to entertain the thoughts. Also negative thoughts in your mind about your brother or sister in Christ or about the preacher <laughs> or about the preacher's wife. Who could not love Sandy? What is wrong with people? <laughs> about the preacher's you know, daughter. I mean, who could not love Brianna? You know, it's one thing. I understand some people don't like me. I don't really care about that anymore. But, but I'm thinking, how could somebody not like Sandy or Brianna? What is wrong with you, man? You must be a weirdo, right? But some people, it's like these thoughts and things get in their minds. It's negative toward their brothers and sisters. Listen, this is one of the ways you can discern that it's a foul spirit, is that that revelation is very critical and negative toward another person. Also, unrighteous judgment, criticism, and fault-finding. I grieve at seeing people that they're so negative about other ministers and ministries. There's things out there I don't necessarily agree with. But I'm not going to get up in a pulpit and start naming names and doing all this stuff and trying to destroy everything that I don't agree with or don't understand. That's a religious spirit. Debating, they want to argue and fight and debate about everything. It's the most annoying. I have people try to contact me. I do not have time for it. I'm just telling you. They start in on that, I'm like, goodbye, and just shut it down. I don't have time for that. The, the religious spirit community are not interested in the truth. They're interested in winning an argument with you. That's it. Even if they're 100% wrong, as long as they felt like they won that argument, a religious spirit is dry, dead religion with no real power. A form of godliness, but denies the power. They want to be in control. I can just see a religious spirit person out there. That revival starts breaking out. The Holy Spirit. I remember one time I was at a, a Rodney meeting. We've actually had some meetings kind of like that here. But I was at this Rodney meeting and all of a sudden, man, the Holy Spirit just fell. And I couldn't help but just find the whole thing awesome and, and hilarious at the same time. Because here's Rodney mid-sentence trying to preach, right? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just falls. I mean, you have people weeping and wailing and laughing their heads off, and it was just like an explosion of power. And some people falling on the ground. And I remember sitting back there just kind of laughing to myself, and I was looking around and thinking, man, if anybody here has a religious spirit, their face is going to start turning red right now. They're going to start steaming, you know. They hate it. Why? Because they hate being out of man's control. They want man in control. Instead of God in control. It's prideful and self-righteous. And they're the type of people I'll only listen to God, you know. Tearing down what they perceive as wrong. Unable to accept correction, especially from those they deem beneath them. Having an uncanny ability to see the negative in others but blind to it in themselves. 
They feel a very strong sense of guilt that they'll never measure up. And they'll keep score on their personal walk with God. Okay, how many people have I witnessed to? How many hours have I prayed? How much have I done? And they sit there and focus on that. It's like, I'm pretty sure the Lord's just interested in the relationship. Hello? And I'm pretty sure he just wants us to be led by his spirit. It takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? You know what takes a lot of pressure off is just realizing that I'll never be good enough. It's the fact that Jesus, what he did at Calvary, that I'm forgiven and washed in the blood. It's not about me being my righteousness like I'm going to earn something. It's not like that. He's forgiven me, and now it's about the relationship. And then just being led by the Spirit of God, what he wants us to do. They take pride in their spiritual maturity or their disciplines. I prayed so many hours. I am so spiritual. Fernando, I just, I did it, man. I prayed so many hours. And they're, they're lifted up with pride because of that. And they look down on other people and that they feel are inferior to them. They are very legalistic and very ritualistic in their personal prayer lives. They do things to be noticed by others. And they're repulsed by emotionalism in church and very uncomfortable. So that's the thing I've noticed about religious spirit too. They hate emotion. Somebody that's under the influence of a religious spirit, they themselves are not free in their worship. They're not free to sing, dance, shout, clap, lift their hands. They're not free. They're, they, their, their emotions are kind of bottled up. And it repulses them to see somebody hit the ground and they're laughing their head off or they're bawling their eyes and there's emotion. Why well, has all this emotion in church? Give me one scripture one place where God has a problem with emotion. They can't do it. It's a religious spirit that has told them that God doesn't like emotion. I've got news for you. If God didn't like emotions in people, then why did he create human beings with emotions? But it's a religious spirit. They hate emotionalism. They hate the move of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit manifestations. Maybe somebody laugh, fall, shake, cry, whatever. They hate it. They can't stand it. It bothers them so much. And they always talk about what God did in the past and not what he's doing today. The deception of a religious spirit. So a religious spirit will always be talking about past revivals, but they're not talking about now. We want God to move today. We want to move now. However you want to do it, Lord, come move. And there's such a freedom. When people get free from a religious spirit, it is one of the greatest freedoms because you no longer care about what other people think. You no, you no longer feel like you're having to measure up in your relationship to Him. You just relax. You know, the thing about the Lord is, you know, it's hard to understand but he really does love us. And he wants to be with us. And a lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people feel God's mad at me. And they feel like God's going to strike me down, you know, and I've got to measure up and I've got to earn and all this. And I don't, that's a religious spirit. God really does love you. Now, let me, let me put this in there, though. God does want us to repent. Like, for example, if two people get married and then one of them is always flirting with other people, how's that going to go over? 
Do you think that's going to be good in the relationship? Do you think when they get home, all is going to be well? No. There's a problem in the relationship. That person needs to quit doing that. In the same way, when we, we have a relationship with the Lord, he wants us to repent and quit doing things that are hurting our relationship with him. Amen? But understanding that he loves us and he's wanting us to repent so the relationship's not hindered, okay? All right, I think I've said enough tonight, but I want you to be aware of these spirits. Leviathan, Jezebel, and religion. It's in this region. There's a principality, and God's wanting us to be free. So here's what I want you to do. Take those home and pray over that. We need to become lambs among the wolves, meaning that if any of this stuff applies to us, that we're going to pray about it and repent. How many will do that for Pastor Scott? Take it home. Go through the list. Lord Jesus, show me. If any of this is in me, I repent, change me, take it out of me. Why? Because I want people to be free from the influence of the spirit of this region. All right. Zach, if you could just play that CD5 for a minute. So let me pray for you guys about this tonight. Okay, Father, I'm asking you as people go home, And they read over these notes. Lord, I ask you by your precious Holy Spirit that you'll begin to highlight things that have stuck out to them, things that maybe aren't right and they need to deal with. Because true repentance is not saying, I'm sorry, then going back and doing it. True repentance is, number one, there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And that's healthy. You know, tears, really remorseful. Like Peter, when he denied the Lord, he wept bitterly. There is a godly sorrow involved. But then also, repentance has to do with changing the way you think. That you're not going to keep thinking like you used to think. That like this is okay, or this is justifiable, or whatever. It's like your mind has changed now. You, you see it different, you think different. And then the third aspect of repentance is I'm going to quit doing it. The Bible says if you've been stealing, stop stealing. If you've been lying, stop lying. I'm just going to stop doing it. So there's areas in here that God may show you that we need to say, Lord, forgive me. Godly sorrow. Forgive me, Lord. Change the way I think. Help me to repent of this and walk away from it. And this is no longer going to be a part of my life. Because I don't want six months down the road that a sweet, wonderful person that I knew now has a personality change. They're not the same person I used to know. And now they're so critical and negative toward me or toward the church. They're being arrogant. They're being divisive. I don't want that. Because, you know, Sandy and I, we love everybody. And we're preaching this way so that people can be free. So examine yourself about these things and make sure, Lord, if there's anything, I don't want a doorway for these things to find a way into my life. 